What's up, Whisper Nation? Welcome into the Week 13 Matchup Preview Show. Right here. I am your host, Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter, at BigTraviTFW. Today, I am joined by Austin Sear, who you can find over on Twitter, at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Austin, what's going on, man? What's good, dude? Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you as well. We're going to get through some of these matchups today. It's week 13, big playoff implications for most of your leagues that you're in. On the other mic, we have Johnny Game Time Hicks. Johnny, you can find at tw- on Twitter at Johnny underscore Game Time. Johnny, how are you, my man? Another week down, one more week into the playoffs. Let's get it. That's the idea here. We're going to go through... Uh, you know, half of the slate of games here for the week 13 matchups, go through some of the fantasy football narratives, all the fantasy football relevant players to help you get that W as always. If you want more fantasy football content, you can follow us on all social media platforms by searching the fantasy whispers and make sure you go over to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube page, search the fantasy whispers on YouTube today. All right. Our first matchup on the slate is the Atlanta Falcons hosting the new Orleans saints. It's a 45 over under and new Orleans is favored by two and a half. So you love to see that that um, on the New Orleans side of the ball, Johnny, we got to start with Taysom Hill. That's where the offense begins and ends. Um, how do we feel about Taysom Hill in this great matchup against Atlanta? When we first started talking about Taysom Hill, we were only really talking about him as a cheat code, as a tight end cheat code. If you had him uh, eligible for your tight end spot, then we were like, hey, you should go and pick him up and play him there. Uh, We didn't say to start him at the quarterback position because we were uncertain of what he looked like and the little reps we saw. It didn't look good. But the last two games, he's looked very solid. He has the high upside rushing uh, floor that we like to see from our quarterbacks, averaging 10 rushing attempts since becoming the starter in New Orleans. You like that. Uh, He's completing uh, he completed 78 percent of his passes when he played Atlanta just two weeks ago. So there is a high floor for uh, Taysom Hill, and then you're looking at what Atlanta does generally, uh, and they give up the second most points, fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. So I think that you can start to roll Taysom Hill out now as a fl- uh, flex play, or sorry, as a, a streamer play at the quarterback position, especially this week against Atlanta. Yeah, he's been one of my favorite streamers in a couple leagues that I'm in. Um, I'm actually starting him over Matt Ryan in a few, just based on the defensive matchup here, but. Um, I think the other big story for New Orleans is obviously with Alvin Kamara, right? If we look at the splits between him and Latavius Murray over the last couple of weeks, it's a little alarming. He's had 24 rushing attempts to Latavius Murray's 31, four red zone attempts versus Latavius's seven, three targets versus Latavius's three. So, and 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 then you're looking at Kamara's red zone targets. He's had zero red zone targets. Um, we talked about this last week. The concern, you know, with Taysom Hill coming into the lineup and what that meant. And then you look at the snap percentage for Alvin Kamara. His lowest through week eight was 54%. Um, Over the last two weeks, 48%, 50%. Um, So we're seeing a dip in production here. Um, We're seeing them go to a more run-heavy offense, and that means a lot more of Latavius Murray. Over the last two weeks for Latavius, 21 carries, 173 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I, I think you're obviously starting Alvin Kamara. I think the ceiling is there. But we have to realize that his ceiling is, uh, um, is capped a lot more weeks than not in this offense going so run heavy. And I actually think it puts Latavius Murray on the flex radar. We move to the pass catchers, though. I think it's a good it's a good sign for you know Michael Thomas GMs that over the last couple weeks he's had 18 targets. He's caught 13 of them. Uh, he's at 153 yards over the last two weeks with Taysom Hill. 46% of Taysom Hill's attempts through the air have gone Michael Thomas's way. So you love to see that. 
Um, in his last matchup just last week, he went 9 for 12 for 104 yards. So Michael Thomas is locked in. Emmanuel Sanders is probably not in your lineup just based on the volume that they're passing at this point. And I think that means the same probably for Jared Cook, right, Austin? Yeah, Jared Cook's seen six yards total over his last three weeks and is actually seeding snap percentages over to Josh Hill. So it's a non-factor on this one and the rest of the season moving forward unless we see something majorly shift. I would agree with that. Now, Johnny, I'm going to kick it to you for quarterback again. Matt Ryan on the Atlanta side of the ball facing a really tough New Orleans defense here. Yeah, um, I'm not really wanting to start Matt Ryan this week. You look at this matchup, not the greatest matchup. Saints giving up the fourth fewest points to opposing quarterbacks uh, with 15.2 points per game on average. And then look at what Matt Ryan is doing with Julio Jones in the lineup versus what he's doing without Julio Jones in the lineup. And uh, it, that's a big indicator because Julio dealing with uh, some injuries, soft tissue issues. So it's, it's still up in the air whether he's going to play or not. Um, so I'll give you this information and you could do, as it, uh, do with it as you wish. But um, with, Matt, uh, with Julio Jones in the lineup, Matt Ryan is completing 71% of attempts. And he has 14 touchdowns on the season to just five interceptions. Now, if you remove Julio Jones out of the lineup this year, he his uh, completion percentage dips down to 54%. And then his touchdown and interception ratio goes to three touchdowns and three interceptions. So there is a night and day difference between Matt Ryan with Julio Jones in the lineup and Matt Ryan without Julio Jones in the lineup. So uh, I will be monitoring that that situation even closer uh, to to give you a, a definitive answer. But as of right now, I would not be looking to start Matt Ryan. Game time. I have a I have a question on that. That's a fire stat right there, talking of the difference of Matt Ryan's output with Julio in versus Julio out. Do you have any feeling on how the numbers are affected when Julio Jones is in the lineup? But he know we know he's not a hundred percent. So we can look at that game because um, he had one game where he was essentially just a decoy. Give me a second. I can bring it up here. Um, but in general, it it still bodes well, right? Because Julio is such a big, a big guy uh, and a big target that even if he is quote-unquote, just a, a decoy. Teams don't necessarily know that. They still have to put someone over there, uh, usually a valuable piece, and so uh, I think either way, it, it, you can definitely see that there's a big difference. And Julio's made a living off of playing through nagging injuries. I mean, he's yeah. done this over the last five years, like where he's gone and suited up. And so, look, he had the hamstring. He's had the hamstring, I think, since the Dallas game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he's played a few games in there and balled out in a couple games too with the hamstring. So I really don't know if the if you know if he can't go, it's obviously super tight. But if he goes, like. Uh, you're obviously trusting him in the lineup. That brings me to the pass catchers here because if Julio doesn't go, you're obviously locking Calvin Ridley in. You'll need to monitor what happened with him. He, he did leave the the last game they had here against uh, the Raiders, but he did come back. Um, I think the real question is Russell Gage. If Julio were to not go, um, and we saw what happened last week, he saw a season high uh, in snaps, 88.5% in week 12. He's seen 17 targets over the last two weeks. He's got two red zone targets, and that, for comparison, that's three red zone targets for Ridley to two, two for Russell Gage. So um, he's been targeted in the red zone, guys, in all but four games this season. Um, so if, if Julio sits, I think Russell Gage finds himself on your flex radar this week, especially in this matchup where Ridley could get a good uh, dose of, you know, Janoris Jenkins on the outside there and, and really kind of and bottle him up a bit. I also like Hayden Hurst. 
Um, I know he played a season low in snaps last week, 47.4, but he still tied his season high in targets with eight. And this is a rebound uh, week because he's seen a red zone target in all but four games as well. So really like what uh, could happen here for for Hayden Hurst. And I think you could fire him up. But Austin, I think the, the conundrum here is the running back situation. We've got Todd Gurley, his knee. Um, we've got to monitor what's going on with him. And then we've got Ito Smith and Brian Hill. So how do you see this shaking out? We have the knee dynamic of Todd Gurley. We have Brian Hill. We have Ito Smith. And then we also have to factor in this incredibly stout Saints rush defense. And these all are a part of what I would be considering for my decision-making process this week. First off, let's start with the Saints defense, where they come in as the number one ranked pro football focus defense and have and are number one in points allowed. They've let up just three touchdowns all season. And the league average for yards per carry is 4.28. The Saints have a 3.46 yards per carry versus opposing running backs. So we know that they are tough. And Todd Gurley has not been the most efficient runner this season. He's actually had his second worst yards per carry output, um, only ahead or only right behind of that god-awful second-year Jeff Fisher season after his rookie year. It's coming in at 3.7 yards per carry. That year two is 3.2. The thing that's saving you with Todd Gurley is his touchdown production. In 10 games, the man has nine total touchdowns. Um, that's where he's getting you the majority of his points. So I'm not as concerned by the Saints' potential to shut him down on the field because I feel like you're banking on Todd Gurley falling into the end zone. Now, I know the Saints' defense has been really stout, just letting up only three touchdowns, but Todd Gurley is so good at punching it in. Let's say there is a pass interference call in the end zone. You get him that first and goal on the one. I'm feeling really good about Todd Gurley in my lineup. If he is active, you need to monitor that knee, though, because it is popping back up. That brings us to Ido Smith and Brian Hill. If Todd Gurley is not out, you're going to have a real, or Todd Gurley is out, you're going to have a real decision here to make of which back to fire up. The majority of the season coming in, we had thought that Brian Hill was the predominant handcuff to Todd Gurley. But last week, week 12, the first game that Todd Gurley was out, the stats showed a different story. Brian Hill, in a game that he should have been able to smash going up against the Las Vegas Raiders and the fourth worst rush defense in the NFL, Brian Hill should have had his best game of the season. He ended up having his fourth best game of the season on a 50% snap share, took 13 carries for 55 yards, 4.2 yards per carry, and dropped his only pass attempt. It wasn't a bad day for Brian Hill from an efficiency standpoint, but Ido Smith just did better. On a 42.9% snap share, a little bit less, he was able to do more. Um, he had four point or 5.4 yards per carry on the day um, and go, went uh, 13 attempts and also had the more important part, um, the end zone touch or the end zone score. He had four red zone attempts compared to Brian Hill's just one. Um, Ito Smith was more efficient, was more involved. Four out of five targets went his way or four out of five receptions. He was able to catch. And so if you have to start a running back other than Todd Gurley, I would be leaning on Ito Smith over Brian Hill. But because of this incredibly tough Saints defense, I would fade on a halfback unless it's Todd Gurley. And I would lower my expectations, even if I am starting Todd Gurley this week. All right, our next matchup on the slate is the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a 51 point over under. We've got Minnesota favored by three. I'm sorry, I'm favored by 10 in this matchup at home. Um, so when we look at the Jacksonville side of the ball, like, Johnny, like, is there anything to pick apart on these wide receivers? 
Is there anything that gives you hope in this matchup? Because on paper, this is a smash spot for wide receivers against Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota's top three in points allowed to the wide receiver position, but this wide receiver group is just so hit and miss. Um, you know, DJ Chark has been a, a shell of himself all year, hasn't been able to stay healthy. I mean, he has seen more than seven targets in four out of five games, but he's only recorded more than 60 receiving yards three times this year. So that's not in the right direction you like to see. LaVisca Chenault continues to be the third wide receiver in the pecking order. Keen uh, Cole continues to see the most, second most targets. But again, when you've got Mike Lennon being the quarterback and getting you the ball, there's not a lot of confidence there. So I would look elsewhere. Austin, the only place you're looking elsewhere on for the Jaguars is James Robinson. It's been the James Robinson show. I imagine that will continue this week. Yeah, I don't see that slowing down. James Robinson clocks in as the number four running back in all formats. He's got more games above 20 points than he does single-digit performances. And a 97% snap share last week. We know Zigbo is the backup now that Chris Thompson hit the IR. Um, and it's not just from the opportunity that James Robinson is producing. He's the number six rusher, according to Pro Football Focus's rushing grades, and clocks in as the number 25 most elusive back right behind Josh Jacobs and just ahead of Alvin Kamara. He's looking really good for the rest of the season, and uh, this game included. All right, on the Minnesota side of the ball, Johnny, we've got a start here. You, you wanted to make a case for streaming one of these tight ends uh, if the other one is out, and, and I have to give props to you. you. You made that call last week on the live show as well. So how are you feeling about Kyle Rudolph and uh, this Minnesota tight end core? Yeah, I want to warrant this by, or preface this by saying if Irv Smith is healthy and active in this game, then don't then ignore everything I'm about to say in these next 30 seconds. But if Irv Smith is out, then I do think Kyle Rudolph is a very solid option again this week. Look, Jacksonville giving up the second most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. And then you look at Kyle Rudolph. He's seen five or more targets in the last two out of three games. He had five uh, five or more targets in both games this season without Irv Smith in the lineup. So I think he's another trustworthy tight end streamer if Irv Smith is not in the lineup. I want to continue the trend with those that catch the ball from Kirk Cousins. And that's Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson here. Both wide receivers look to be in smash spots. This Jacksonville secondary is banged up, and right now they're starting a guy named Luke Barku. Uh, that's a 2020 undrafted free agent. He's only had 42 coverage snaps in the last two weeks, and he's allowed a one touchdown on every five catches. Uh, and that was to Jarvis Landry. So obviously a limited sample size, but it's looking like he's getting burnt here, and uh, I think it, him against Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson, you're going to take that. Then we've got Josiah Scott on the roster as well for Jacksonville. Uh, drafted in the fourth round, 17 total coverage snaps, only three games, um, six catches on six targets when uh, targeting him, 13.2 yards per reception. Uh, that's not good stats if you're a corner. If your job is to defend, uh, you're not getting it done there. So I would really love to have Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson in my lineup. I mean, no surprise there with Adam Thielen, but Justin Jefferson, too, if you needed a little bit of encouragement, this is the way to do it. Um, Austin, when we look at you know Kirk Cousins, the guy throwing him the ball, if we like the tight ends, if we like the wide receivers, we got to like Kirk Cousins this week. Yes, we do like Kirk Cousins this week, and we like what the man has just been doing over the last month. This last four games, Kirk Cousins has averaged 22.2 points per game, puts him at the number five quarterback during that stretch. And the interesting part of Kirk Cousins' game, and while I'm feeling really good about him in a lot of different scenarios is how many points he gets from passing yards. We know it's kind of hard to predict touchdowns, um, but I believe that yards indicate more of what their play style is and how they like to move the football. 
55% of Kirk Cousins' points come from yards. This is the most of any quarterback in the top 15. You go ahead and pair this along with his hot touchdown run that we've seen out of Kirk Cousins where he's had uh, 11 touchdowns in the last four weeks. Going up against this week, a Jags defense that's given up the third most, of points, amount, most amount of points to the quarterback. And I don't even think the Jags are trying to win anymore. Kirk Cousins is a fire start this week. Fire start usually each and every week has been Dalvin Cook. Jacksonville allowing the fifth most fancy points to running backs this season. Obviously, if Dalvin Cook goes, he's in your lineup. Just want to make a point on Alexander Madison. I doubt he's still on your waiver, but if he is, hold him um, through the playoffs just because of the, the injuries that have dinged up Dalvin Cook in the past. Could sneak up, and if you remember, Dalvin Cook was out for the playoff stretch last week for Fantasy GM, or last year for Fantasy GMs. And it was forced, uh, you know, Mike Boone or or others into action. So uh, make sure you're handcuffing Cook Mike with Madison. <laughs> uh, make sure you're handcuffing him because uh, you don't want to end up with your pants down there. So our next matchup is the Tennessee Titans hosting the Cleveland Browns. This is a 53 and a half point over under. One of my favorite and most intriguing matchups on the slate. Uh, Tennessee favored by five and a half at home. Um, when we look at the Cleveland side of the ball. Austin, is there anything to salvage Baker and, and Austin Hooper, some of these ancillary pieces in the offense that you might be looking at here? Not with the way they play the game. That's not a knock on their talent. It's, it's a way – they're a run-heavy team. That's what they want to do. That's what they're very, very good at with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And we've seen Baker Mayfield break 20 fantasy points just one time the entire season. We've seen the Cleveland Browns break 300 passing yards not a single time this entire season. Um, and so with that factor, I'm not feeling great about Baker Mayfield and Austin Hooper, who's not the number one target. Really, this kind of output from a passing perspective allows for just one viable target most weeks. And I'm not banking on that being Austin Hooper. Um, he has just six total catches over the last three weeks. He's a stream-worthy but inconsistent tight end. He is that lead guy. He's way ahead of Njoku. But it just is not a voluminous enough passing team for me to rely on Austin Hooper. We know the talent's there. It's just, it's just not the way the offense rolls. Johnny, when we look at the Cleveland uh, the Cleveland pass or the Cleveland running game, sorry, we're looking at Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, mostly Nick Chubb being that dominant force there. But Kareem Hunt's been a little bit of a letdown of the last couple weeks. Yeah, some fun stuff on Nick Chubb here. Uh, he hasn't seen fewer than 19 carries since returning from his MCL sprain. His lowest yards per carry average for a whole game on the season is 5.6 yards, and that was week two, and he had 22 carries. This guy is an absolute monster. He's probably, hey, tweet at me. I don't care. I'm going to say it. He is the best all-purpose runner we've ever seen in the NFL. He is the best just runner, pure runner, running back. He's, he's amazing. Um, so continue to get him in your lineup. Great matchup. Seven most fantasy points to opposing running backs. Uh, that's what Tennessee gives up. So you're definitely getting him in there. But as for Kareem Hunt, there is some concern. In the three contests since Nick Chubb has returned, Hunt has seen his, total, his touch total drop progressively from 22 touches all the way down to 10 touches this past Sunday. Um, I, because of this, he's becoming more of a low-end RB2, uh, and he needs to get in the end zone in order to have that solid RB2 or even the upwards, you know, up uh, RB2 day. And that's a little bit concerning going into the fantasy playoffs. 
Now, uh, talking with Summy, uh, he brought up a good point and and asking about game script, and he, he said, well, maybe that has to do with game script on why Nick Chubb is more involved than Kareem Hunt, and and certainly that could be the case for sure. They have a couple more difficult schedules, uh, uh, games on the schedule where maybe they aren't able to you know uh, pound the rock like they like to, but I would. I would actually say that they would want to try to do it even more because it's working. It's so effective. Like I just said, Nick Chubb's lowest yards per carry is 5.6 yards per carry. Like you could just turn around and hand it off to this guy and he's getting you half of first down every time he touches the ball. And so I think that they would actually, with the cold weather and all these difficult games, I think it'll make them run it even more with Nick Chubb. And then I, I, at that point, Maybe some of those runs will then turn off into Kareem Hunt, but there is some concern for sure, some caution flags heading into the fantasy playoffs with Kareem Hunt. Preach a little bit of caution for those looking at Jarvis Landry. Look, I know he's not hard to uh, bend, or I know it's not hard to start him right now after eight, you know, catches, 11 targets, 143 yards and a touchdown last week. You look at that week 12, 37.9% of the target market share. Um, you know, 11 of the 29 total pass attempts. He is rocking an 80.4 receiving grade on the year. I mean, that's number 13 on the year. Um, I really know that it looks good for him. You look at what Tennessee's done, like Tennessee giving up the 12th most points to wide receivers, but they actually rank as the fifth best pass defense. So they're actually pretty good here. This matchup against Desmond King is not one you'd think that he's just going to exploit. So I understand if you feel like you need to roll Jarvis Landry out there as the flex or a wide receiver three in PPR. Um, but remember, you know, Austin, you brought this up. The Cleveland has not eclipsed 300 passing yards all season. Like, this is not a team that's going to throw the football a ton. Now, they haven't quite faced anybody like Tennessee who can put points up on the board pretty easily if they want to, if they're in a groove. So I think this could be a game where they need to lean on Landry. And so that way, I'm, you know, in that sense, I am okay with you starting him in the flex. I don't mind it. Um, but just be prepared that the bottom could fall out in that passing attack any given week. On the other side of the fall, ball, we have the Tennessee Titans. And, and Austin, I, I want to kick it to you first. We want to talk a little bit about you had a tweet earlier this week with Jonu Smith. You you stirred <clears throat> you stirred the pot a little bit with the Tennessee tight end situation. So why don't you take us through what you're seeing when you did the deep dive there? Stirred the pot. Jonu Smith stirred my heart on this one. <laughs> it was some shocking numbers to take a look at after. Uh, such a great expectation for Jonu Smith's breakout season in the first five weeks, looking like he was on that next tier trajectory. First five weeks, one through five, which included Tennessee's bye, Jonu Smith was the number three tight end ahead of Darren Waller and right behind Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. Since then, weeks six through 12, which doesn't include the bye, he's the number 17 tight end in total fantasy points ahead of Kyle Rudolph, and right behind the number 16 tight end, Anthony Ferkshire. Do you know who Anthony Ferkshire was? I'm not ashamed to admit. I had to look the man up. It's the backup tight end for Tennessee. It's the other tight end in Tennessee in the last month and a half has scored more fantasy points than Jonu Smith. That, to me, was just jaw-dropping. Um Jonu Smith's trajectory has dropped down. His production has dropped down. A lot of that has to do with that knee injury that he's working through. He's still not 100%. It's clearly affecting him. Um, and I believe that is what's contributing to his 
decreased outputs we've seen over the last month and a half plus. Now the question comes though, are you starting him, right? That's the ultimate question here. And I feel like you can't not start him unless you got a really better option to lean on here. Jonu Smith's snap percentage is still above 70%. Um, Ferkshire also, it's a non-factor. It's just worth noting for context of how Jonu Smith's output is done. But Jonu Smith still seeing a 70% plus snap share. And they're going up against Cleveland, who gives up the second most amount of fantasy points to tight end, 12.8 tied there right there with Chicago. I think this is a really good get right spot for Jonu Smith. But just keep in mind that he hasn't done a lot over the last month and a half. Um, and you got to be prepared for that trend to continue. And Austin, you mentioned Cleveland giving up the second most points to tight end. They also give up the eighth most points to fantasy wide receivers. And so, Johnny, that begs the question, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis were the start this week? Yeah, you're definitely starting A.J. Brown. He's seen seven-plus targets in all but two games this year. He's only recorded less than 50 receiving yards in three games this year. So definitely feel great about that. You know, Cleveland giving up the eighth most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So locked and loaded A.J. Brown. As for your question with Corey Davis, it's a little bit uh, of a dice roll here, right? Um, you're you're walking on thin ice because uh, Corey Davis, he's seen seven or fewer targets in four straight games. However, he's uh, yet to have under 65 receiving yards, or he's he's had 65 receiving yards in three out of those four games. So he's not getting a tremendous amount of volume, but he is producing. And I think because of this matchup and and what and who he should be slotted against, I do think that Corey Davis is like on your wide receiver three slash flex radar this week. Oh, if we like all those pass catchers similar to what we're seeing about Kirk Cousins, we've got to like Ryan Tannehill this week. Cleveland allowing the 10th most fantasy points to the quarterback position, 19.6. But I understand, Whisper Nation, you're probably a little bit concerned the last four weeks. We've seen Tannehill kind of fall off a cliff a little bit. He played Chicago, Indy twice, and Baltimore, though. So for context, that was a brutal schedule over the last four weeks. But he was still a viable streamer. Not a, not that ceiling we got used to seeing, you know, that, that was rivaling him points-wise with Patrick Mahomes for a little bit there. But he's still been a viable streamer three out of those four weeks. This is the matchup to get right in. We mentioned the pass catchers um, in great matchups. We mentioned the Cleveland secondary. I really like Tannehill this week. And then just a note on Derrick Henry. Obviously, this guy is, is a beast. We know he's good. We know if you kept on to him, you're excited. You looked at his playoff schedule. It's all green on whatever app you're using. Uh, but now we've got Mike Vrabel saying we have to throw him the ball more. Uh, we, we need to continue to work on the screen game with him, but teams have de uh, defended it well. We talk about this schedule, Jacksonville, Detroit, and Green Bay over the next three weeks. They also give up top nine numbers in receiving yards to opposing running backs. As if they weren't bad enough, they're also giving it up through the air uh, for the running backs. So Derrick Henry is about to go nuclear and win some championships. for Travis, Travis, we saw Mike Vrabel at the beginning of the season say, give Henry the ball. Yeah, Give I love him his more mask. touches. Yeah, 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 right. Well, yeah, the he had the mask on. Then we have him this week saying we need to get him involved more in the pass game. Do you think next week Vrabel is just going to turn over play calling duties to Derrick Henry? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the next logical <laughs> situation. Mid game, it's just going to be Derrick Henry's team. Yeah, yeah they're going to be gonna like call his Ryan Tannehill. You can go ahead and bench. You get. We're going to bench you. We're just going to put in Derrick Henry now. Yeah, you're just going to have a clipboard. He's going to run Derrick Henry's. You're gonna see Derrick Henry switch helmets with Tannehill because his helmet has the like the microphone in it. So <laughs> yeah, he's gonna run to the sideline and grab the clipboard and. Run I'm with honestly the like I wouldn't be surprised if Derrick Henry could play some middle linebacker or defensive end. That guy is a ridiculously physical specimen. So yeah. whatever they want to do in Tennessee, I'm not gonna question it anymore. They've unlocked Derrick Henry over the last couple of years, and and it's been fun to watch. 
Uh, a game that won't be fun to watch is the next game on the slate. The Chicago Bears are hosting the Detroit Lions. This, my friends, is a 44.5 point over under with Chicago favored by three at home. This seems like it's going to be an NFL or an NFC North bruiser matchup, uh, defensive struggle. The, the line would suggest that as well. But, Johnny, something that's really exciting you, to, regardless of the matchup here, which is not a good one, um, you know, facing Chicago, is that running back core under the new interim head coach, Daryl Bevel? Well, it's not the entire core. Uh, it's just DeAndre Swift. Uh, but I will say I'm glad that we are recording at uh, this this morning, Friday morning. We're recording this because uh, there was reports that even if DeAndre Swift, I would, you know, even coming in before this, I was going to advise you to just throw him in your flex spot either way even with the difficult matchup because he's that talented and they will they will get him the ball um however there's been some news that come out that came out this morning that they are going to limit his touches and it, it does kind of make sense right he's been dealing with a sickness he's coming off the concussion and then it's a difficult matchup so I think this relegates, uh, unfortunately, all DeAndre Swift, Adrian Peterson, and Carryon Johnson to uh, you're not going to want to start them this week. If there was maybe a player that I could argue, it would be DeAndre Swift as a flex, but it, you're you're asking for a very very low floor if you put him in there right now, uh, based on the matchup and the news that we're hearing about them limiting his touches. Austin, before I jump into the wide receivers, I want to I want I wanted to kick it to you on Matt Stafford because it's been a little concerning and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better this week against Chicago. No, it doesn't look like it's going to get better against Chicago, given that they've given the Bears defense the sixth fewest points to quarterbacks. Matt Stafford, I don't feel bad calling this season a disappointment, but he's had a really nice floor for the majority of the year. You know, you go ahead and you look through it. He, he's not going to get you 30 points like you might have hoped at the beginning of the season, but it's pretty unlikely he's going to dip you below 15 as he's only done that twice all season. And this week against Chicago, I'm banking on a little bit of divisional magic we could see out of Matt Stafford and the Lions and really from both sides of the ball. Just some funky things um, are more likely to happen in these types of games. And the area I believe Matt Stafford could exploit and create for some of that magic is from the Bears' pass rush and how Stafford traditionally responds to uh, rushing the quarterbacks. The Bears are the number seven defense on the season in rushing quarterbacks, so they've got that tool in their arsenal. But Matt Stafford is the number three quarterback in the NFL versus pressure. So given that the one of the Bears' best defensive tools is pressure and Matt Stafford, one of his best components is how he handles pressure, um, I think that Matt Stafford could be in actually for a surprisingly good game this week against a divisional rival in the Bears. So much of of Stafford's struggle has been Kenny G, um, I believe, missing extended periods of time this year. And it looks like, you know, with a DNP on Thursday and Wednesday, he's probably not going to make it uh, here in this one. And even if he were to go, you know, he's going to get a dose of Jalen Johnson or Kyle Fuller. Chicago is allowing the third fewest points to fantasy wide receivers this year. Uh, per game, I would have not a lot of confidence in Kenny G if he were to go, and it makes me not want to even go with Marvin Jones. But I did want to point out that if you're really desperate, I mean, you'd have to be in a multi, like three wide receiver league, uh, maybe multiple flex, you know, kind of like the Whisper Nation league. Danny Elmendola deserves a little bit of a nod as as a second flex option here. He's going to face Buster Screen. He's allowed three touchdowns over the last four weeks. He's allowed 77% catch rate. 
targeted on 20% of his routes defended, and he's allowed 121.2 passer rating when he's targeted. So Danny Amendola, sneaky play here, especially if Amendola's out and you're trying to move the ball on this defense, this tough Chicago defense, you're seeing that pressure, you're going to dump it off to your slot guy. So I think Amendola, especially in PPR, could get it done. And I did, did just want to note, like we haven't forgotten about TJ Hawkinson. This guy has been a stud this year, tight end three in standard and PPR. He has seven or more targets and four or more catches in four of his last five games. And he's only dipped below 10 PPR points in two of his last seven games. Like he is really a stud in getting it done in a, in a position that just has not been getting it done for a lot of fantasy GMs this year. Johnny, when we look at the Chicago side of the ball, I think the most exciting piece, maybe outside of Allen Robinson, is David Montgomery, given that the, his schedule is about to open up, and, it, and we saw a little bit of that last week against Green Bay. Yeah, Detroit giving up the most fantasy points to opposing running backs on the year. Uh, and then, look, David Montgomery, uh, people don't don't like it because he, he's not the sexiest and flashiest running back. But I'll tell you what, he gets volume. Uh, he saw 17 total touches his first week back after the concussion. And they really don't have another running back that they can, you know, split a lot of carries with. So it's it's David Montgomery getting the bulk of these. And then you look at the quarterback situation, and I'll give you some excitement about uh, possibly getting Mitch Trubisky, you know, remaining under center. Uh, when when Mitch Trubisky is the the Bears' starting quarterback, the Bears' running game has posted at least 122 rushing yards in each of his four starts this season. So I think that will continue again this weekend against Detroit. Put D David Montgomery in your lineup. He's a solid RB2, might even give you RB1 numbers this week. You mentioned Mitch Trubisky there, and I'm not <laughs> trying to die on this hill, but I think Mitch Trubisky could be worth a deep stream option here. Detroit giving up the 10th most fancy points to QBs over the last five weeks, 20.5. 32nd ranked passing defense, 23rd ranked rushing defense. Mitch could actually get it done for you here this week. I think he does have a decent floor this week. I don't know if he's got the ceiling we want, um, and that's based on the fact that it's really only Allen Robinson, Austin, in that passing attack for you, um, and he's been a stud, but really not much else outside of him. No, it's it's not, and Allen Robinson we know have got locked in, and they're going up against the worst pass defense in the league in Detroit's uh, secondary eighth most fantasy points two opposing wide receivers it should be a reasonably close game between these two opponents so I think we're going to see the wide receivers involved uh throughout the game but outside of Allen Robinson you got Daryl Mooney who'd be the other one to consider the speed is there but the man's broken 50 yards just twice all season long and last week he had the opportunity with nine targets coming his way three receptions just 33 percent of those passes caught Mitch Trubisky is going to be quarterbacking again and the Lions, while they're not very ranked very well, they kind of have a sneaky good pass defense recently. Um, the secondary has given just three touchdowns up to wide receivers since week seven. Um, so I'm not feeling good about Darnell, uh, Darnell Mooney. And if I'm not feeling good about Darnell Mooney, I'm not feeling good about Anthony Miller, Mitch Trubisky's number three quarterback wide receiver. So yeah, it's Allen Robinson for me. Uh, otherwise, I'm moving on. And that, that extends out to Jimmy Graham, right? Like we're not touching Jimmy Graham this week either. Hands off. All right. Our next matchup on the slate is the Miami Dolphins hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a 42.5 point over under. Miami favored by 11.5. Fire up your Miami defense here. Um, in this matchup, Johnny, looking at the Cincinnati side of the ball, if we have to, uh, 
Anything for the quarterbacks or tight ends? No, nothing. Uh, keep looking. Miami, last in points allowed to the tight end position. Their third fewest yards uh, allowed to the quarterback position. It's going to be a nasty day. Like you said, if you have Miami's defense, you start them against this team. So the wide receiving core really has been where the talent's been um, this year, especially T. Higgins. We, we know T. Higgins has been a boss. I don't know if I want to start any of these wide receivers. Obviously, Tyler Boyd has, has lived off of um, you know volume with Joe Burrow, but without Joe Burrow, I have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, I am going to fade all of these guys. If you have to start one of them, I don't mind T. Higgins because I think they've been using him as that tight end, the big body in the red zone, so he could get you that touchdown. Um, but he's going to probably get a lot of Xavier Howard or, or Byron Jones this week. And either way, I'm not feeling great about that, uh, the rookie wide receiver versus some stud corners. And you've got to remember, Miami's built to have you know a great secondary and build their defense around that. That's how Brian Flores wants to do it. He's learned from Bill Belichick. So for me, I'd be fading these guys with, with Brandon Allen kind of throwing them the football. So I guess that leaves us, Austin, uh, with the running back core and if we can feel confident in Giovanni Bernard this week. Giovanni Bernard was such a fun prospect after Joe Mixon went down week seven. And unfortunately for the Bengals as a whole, Brandon Allen quarterbacking just doesn't look like a recipe for a lot of fantasy or NFL success. I mean, quickly with Giovanni Bernard, I mean, he hasn't broken double digit carries since the week nine by um, or 33 yards on the ground. The Saving grace for Giovanni Bernard would be his role in the passing game. He's gone 10 for 15, 10 catches on 15 targets um, since the week nine by uh, 71 yards combined, no touchdowns. Now, I do expect game flow to work in Giovanni, Ber Giovanni Bernard's favor, considering they're going to probably be down and he'll stay in and Samaj P. Ryan won't be as active or involved. The problem that I have with this even expanded role playing from behind for Giovanni Bernard is Cincinnati's inability to collect first downs. Cincinnati last week with Brandon Allen chucking the rock had 11 first downs versus Atlanta. We all know how Atlanta's defense is not hailed to be one of the best. Uh, so 11 first downs against Atlanta. You go back the week before to get a little bit of context. They were playing the Giants, um, or excuse me, Cincinnati. They were playing the Giants last week, not Atlanta. But the week before that, we saw him going up against uh, Washington. They had 18 first downs. And then against Pittsburgh's number one defense, 16 first downs. So incredible regression with Brandon Allen. And I just don't think they're going to be able to move the rock at all. Miami should be able to move the rock. And that's because they will probably have Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. We'll see. It's supposed to be a game time, game time decision for Tua. Um, but I really like Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I really think that he's got a good shot here to put up great numbers as a streamer if you're able to you know, confirm that he'll start. Um, Cincinnati is 21st versus QB, 19.3 uh, fantasy points per game they're allowing to the position. Um, and, and you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's only had two finishes outside the top 12 in seven full games that he's played this year. We know what he's got. You know, He's got that ceiling to kind of sling it, and that starts um, you know, and ends with probably Devontae Parker. But, uh, Johnny, I want, before I get into Parker, I wanted to ask you about Mike Kosicki this week because, you know, with Fitzpatrick back in the lineup, he kind of has a little bit more upside. Yeah, I really like Mike Kosicki this week. He's seen three straight games with five-plus targets. Um, he's, his lowest yardage to output during that span is 35 yards, which it's not a lot. I'll give it to you. But in the tight end landscape, that's a lot. Uh, 35 yards is a pretty good floor for a tight end. And then you look at this matchup. 
Cincinnati, fourth most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. They're basically giving up a a uh, receiving touchdown to the tight end position almost every single week. So I love Mike Jacecki this week. Yeah, I think Jacecki's a great start, and I think Devontae Parker and is about to lead some uh, GMs into the playoffs this week. Over the last two weeks, 14 uh, catches, 180 yards, and a touchdown on 23 targets. He's 19th in the NFL right now with 83 targets, 25% target market share on the year. Remember, Parker's been dinged up, and he and he's missed some time, and he's also been dinged up, and he's still putting up these numbers. He's put up 1.87 yards per route run. Now he's going to face Cincinnati, William Jackson in, in particular, who's giving up 1.06 yards per route run. But this is the stat that I really like. Cincinnati has allowed 14 wide receiver touchdowns this year. That's the fourth most of any team. Um, give me Devontae Parker in droves this week. If you've got him, you know, in daily, everywhere you can get Devontae Parker in your lineup. I like it this week against that struggling Cincinnati secondary. But we've got to talk about these running backs, Austin, because we've had production out of whoever we can figure out is going to start or play. It usually is a bell cow type role for that game. So how do you think this shakes out this week and who would you be confident in? Yeah, you're going to be hoping to get some solid production from whoever ends up starting at running back. For the Dolphins, given they're going up against Miami's, or excuse me, Cincinnati's 29th ranked rush defense. The issue is we really don't have a ton of clarity right now of who we can expect in the backfield for Miami. Now, Salvin Ahmed has been the lead back, but Brian Flores was non-committal earlier this week when asked about Ahmed's chances of suiting up for week 13. Um, DeAndre Washington came in and filled in last week, did pretty good, 13 carries, 49 yards, but he picked up a hamstring injury along the way. So don't expect DeAndre Washington to be part of the mix. Miles Gaskin has been the lead dog for the majority of the season. He was down. He was activated off the IR, but it's unclear if he's going to be active. Now, if he is active, Miles Gaskins is the best running back for the Miami Dolphins. He's the number 42 ranked elusive back and number 36 rushing grade per PFF. Uh, nobody else in the Miami backfield is ranked in the top 50 in either one of those categories. Gaskin is the guy you'd want if he's healthy, but we just don't know yet if he is. If he's not, and Ahmed's not, and Washington's not, you got Matt Breda as likely the only healthy running back for the Miami Dolphins. And last week, eight carries, 36 yards, 4.5 yards per carry, and caught both of his targets for 17 total yards in week 12. If Everyone's banged up. Matt Breda is likely the only active back. I'm not feeling too bad about Matt Breda. I think it could be a fun dice roll this week, and all signs would point to a good fantasy week ahead. But keep an eye out. Gaskin gets suits up here. I think that would. I think, like you said, that would be the best option for Whisper Nation here if Gaskin yeah. could give it a go here. Um, I, I think he might be close. He's been practicing over the last two weeks. They just have to pull the trigger and say that it's worth putting him in there. We'll see. They're massive favorites. They may not need Gaskin. Maybe they're trying to wait a little bit. I mean, Miami's still firmly in the playoff picture this year. Definitely got to uh, keep an eye on that. Yeah, with the seven-team uh, situation. Our next matchup on the slate is the Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Washington football team. This is a 42.5-point over-under. Pittsburgh favored by a whopping eight points here. We look at the Washington football side of things. Um, Johnny, I'll, I'll kick it to you for Terry McLaurin. Are you feeling as confident as you would any week with Terry McLaurin? Does the tough you know, Pittsburgh defense scare you off? Is there anybody else in the passing core you like? 
I'm not scared off one bit uh, from Terry McLaurin knowing that they're facing Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Look, when you're looking at this, uh, their their D front is the scariest part of that whole entire offense. Then you got their safeties, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick. Th- those guys are pretty scary too. Uh, but not as scary as scary Terry, uh, Terry McLaurin, because look, since week nine when Alex Smith took over, Terry McLaurin has 33 targets. The other two Sims uh, wide receivers uh, only have 22 targets combined. So he is getting the vast, he's uh, triple targeting, uh, out targeting any other wide receiver here. And during that span, uh, since week nine and Alex Smith taking over, uh, Terry McLaurin's lowest yardage output has been 84 receiving yards. I look for that to continue this week uh, because Pittsburgh giving up on average 23.6 fantasy points per game to wide receivers, and I expect the vast majority of that to go to Terry McLaurin. I mean, we see Terry McLaurin do it against James Bradbury, against some lockdown corners. Joe Hayden isn't somebody that really scares me yeah. off of Terry McLaurin this week, so I, I like that take there. Austin, I wanted to pitch it to you on Logan Thomas because we know he's putting up great peripheral numbers. The Steelers' defense is no joke, though, so would you trust Logan Thomas in your lineup as a streamable tight end in Week 13? It's tough going up against that real difficult Steelers defense who also ranks as the number one defense against the tight end. Uh, Fewest points allowed to the tight end position over the season, but Logan Thomas's role is so solidified in the Washington football team's um, offense, he never comes off the field, basically. And his floor, he's like the ultimate floor play tight end for me. He has 60 yards and a touchdown in four of his last, or 60, six, at least 60 yards or a touchdown in four of his last six games. And since Alex Smith has taken over, he's seen six targets or more. Um, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, four targets in every game that Alex Smith has started. Um, last week, Logan Thomas went four for four. Um, rushed the ball for three yards and also completed a 28 yard pass passing yards rushing yards receiving yards logan thomas is in all the time just not hitting a ceiling for you and i don't think that's going to happen despite all of this solid opportunity he's broken double digit points um just four times with a season high of 14 high floor but still a tight touchdown dependent tight end and this week against that real tough steelers defense lower your expectations even further take a minute to talk a little bit about Antonio Gibson. Well, obviously this guy is killing it right now. 11 rushing touchdowns on 139 carries. That's a 7.9% touchdown rate right now. Um, if you look at Kamara in 2018, one of his you know groundbreaking seasons, the most efficient seasons we've maybe ever seen out of a running back, he had 14 touchdowns on 194 carries. That was a 7.2%. So right now Gibson is on pace to have one of the most efficient seasons we've ever seen, really become a great asset for fantasy. 30th out of 37 running backs, though, with 75-plus attempts at with 2.45 yards per contact uh, per attempt. So he is, you know, getting it done because of touchdowns, it looks like. I mean, that's he's been an efficient runner for the most part. He's had ph- phenomenal production. We're just wondering if at some point um, it's a little bit too good uh, to be true and if the bottom falls out. And this is a tough matchup. We're not going to, you know sugarcoated any any way and and the and the schedule gets tough for him. He's got San Francisco next, Seattle, Carolina, then Philly. So really tough matchups down the stretch. Um but Gibson is 
still in your lineup as a guy as a converted wide receiver, as a guy that can get involved in the passing game and has been their touchdown running back, he could fall in any game. I do want to bring up J.D. McKissick real quickly here because I know people are asking. Back-to-back games with fewer than five targets for McKissick now, five catches uh, total for 47 yards over the last uh, couple weeks. And then you look at Pittsburgh. This isn't a great matchup, even though you would think maybe that they'll dink and dunk with McKissick in this game. Pittsburgh's only allowed 32 catches and 232 receiving yards all year to running backs. That's the lowest mark by any team. So really not excited about um, J.D. McKissick, and, I, and I'm tempering expectations on, on, Antonio, on Antonio Gibson. On the other side of the ball, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, Johnny, and I wanted to give it to you for Eric Ebron because he's been kind of that locked-in, startable tight end, and, and this should be another spot for him to get it done for you. Yeah, I think that Eric Ebron is going to be a guy that you can plug and play for the rest of the season. I don't think he's no longer a streaming tight end. I think he's going to be one of the top seven tight ends rest of season. You look at this matchup, 13th most fantasy points to opposing tight ends uh, Washington gives up. So that's kind of where they give up the most yardage uh, for this team. And then you look at Eric Ebron. Since week five, he's only seen less than six targets uh, in a game twice. And he scored a touchdown in, in his last three out of five games. So um, I, I think that they continue to use him. Uh, Big Ben looks for him. And I think that you can continue to trust him in your lineup. Yeah, so you brought up Big Ben there, throwing him the football. Um, I'm kind of worried about Big Ben this week. I don't think I'd be willing to put him in my lineup if I'm trying to make the playoffs. He's been the QB 12 in most formats. He's had back-to-back weeks, though, under 18 fantasy points. And three after three straight weeks without an interception, he has back-to-back games with a, uh, a pick. Washington, uh, you know, tied for second in sacks this season with 36. They're only allowing 16.9 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. That's 10th worst matchup to face. They've also surrendered the fourth fewest passing touchdowns this year. So I'm actually a little bit concerned about Big Ben this week. But Austin, as we look at the pass catchers, maybe you can talk me into Big Ben based on what you think about these wide receivers and especially this matchup. Yeah, they got three good ones there. And Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Chase Claypool. Now, Washington football team's pass defense does clock as the number three ranked pass defense so they're no joke but neither are these wide receivers the question really comes of how do we rank these guys they've been up and down and uh, shifting around a lot all season long but I think we've got enough data right now to feel confident about what their prescribed roles are for the Pittsburgh Steelers let's start with their number one and that's Deontay Johnson there's not a ton that needs to be said about this man he's the number wide number nine wide receiver over the last month he's had 50 targets in four weeks, 50 targets. I know Johnny's got some really good stats on how involved Deontay Johnson has been. He's a wide receiver one. Um, Then you got Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, though, who have not been bad by any stretch of the imagination. Juju Smith-Schuster also, so so we can cleanly kind of say it like this. Juju Smith-Schuster is involved more. He gets more targets by a little bit. Um, he's got a much lower ADOT, five yards um, per reception there for Juju Smith-Schuster's um, average depth of target. But he catches at a really high clip. He's the number 21 wide receiver in PPR, the number 22 standard. And he only has four games this year of single-digit performance. He's a really consistent player. He doesn't have that boom appeal as much um, where Chase Claypool does. Uh, Double-digit fantasy points in the last four of the last five weeks, eight-plus targets over the last five weeks for Chase Claypool, but he hasn't broken 70 yards since week six. He is a touchdown-dependent 
um, wide receiver if you're going to bank on his ceiling. That's really where it comes from from him. And despite him being on the field quite a bit less than Juju Smith-Schuster from a snap share percentage, um, he's right there with him in terms of red zone targets. 13 red zone targets on the year compared to 16 for Juju Smith-Schuster. So just a little bit more and Chase Claypool um, comes down with them. A really nice rate. So you've got a, a, I go one, two, three in that order. Deontay Johnson, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool's got the higher ceiling than Juju Smith-Schuster, but you're just banking on a touchdown, which is hard to do, especially this week going up against a pretty stout Washington pass defense. Pretty jealous of Johnny and Austin in this matchup because they get to talk about the guys you trust in this offense. And I get to talk about the guys I probably don't feel great about trusting. And that started with Ben Roethlisberger, and it's going to continue here for the running backs, and specifically Benny Snell. Um, outside of red zone opportunities, Snell is just not a good a asset this year. Um, you look at the way the Steelers are a pass-heavy offense because of those wide receivers. They like to dink and dunk their way down the field. I mean, at the same time that they are pass-heavy, you know, Austin, you talked about the average depth of target for Juju, Juju and, and some of these guys. They, they do quick slants. They're trying to get the ball down the field. That's the extension of their running game. You know, you look at in nine career games with double-digit carries, Benny Snell's only scored a touchdown in two of them. Um, you know, week 12, only 16 attempts, four targets. Um, this is good game script. I'll give them that. I mean, they're favored by more than a touchdown, but it's still a low over-under. Um, it's still a situation where I think Pittsburgh's more, I mean, we watched last week against Baltimore when they're up by 12, they didn't run it a single time on a drive and, and ended up punting it. I just don't know that they want to run the football as much as we thought at the beginning of the year. And so it really concerns me for Benny Snell. I mean, obviously if you're looking, you need the production in your flex spot this week, I could, I could throw Snell in there. But other than that, I, I would kind of fade Benny Snell. Our next matchup on the slate is the Los Angeles Chargers hosting the New England Patriots. This is a 47.5 point over-under. This is an even money game. Vegas doesn't know who to pick. We don't know who to pick. It could be anyone. It's in L.A., that beautiful new stadium. But we're going to start with the Patriots, um, and we're going to start with whether or not we can trust Cam Newton, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, with the lack of weapons, it can certainly look like it's all a little hard to trust Cam Newton, uh, even with a great matchup. You ha he had a great matchup last week against Arizona, and he failed to even score remotely a good fantasy day, unfortunately. But uh, LA Chargers giving up the eighth most fantasy points to opposing QBs, and they've allowed four rushing touchdowns on the season to uh, opposing quarterbacks. And we know what Cam Newton likes to do when he gets close to the red zone. He likes to rush it. So I do think that there is a reality that Cam Newton has a very solid game this week. Um, now, is it going to be a ceiling game? Probably not. Is it going to be a floor game like we saw last week? I don't think so. But if you need just a solid streamer quarterback and maybe Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins is not on your waiver or some of these other guys that were, you know, uh, telling you to go out and grab and stream, uh, I do think that you could do a lot worse than Cam Newton this week. Yeah, and Cam Newton throwing the ball to a lot of Dem uh, Demir Bird and Jacoby Myers, and it just makes you wonder, like, who you can trust out of those guys. Um, Demir Bird led the team in targets for the second straight week, but he didn't do anything with them last week. I don't think you can trust him. He's only had one game over 70 yards in his last six. He's only had one touchdown all season. The Chargers have been the seventh best D against enemy wide receivers. So if I am trusting any of them, um, I would actually go with Jacoby Myers. He's had five straight games with 94% or more snaps, six or more targets in five of his last six, 
and he seems to have taken over that Julian Edelman role for me. Uh, Jacoby Myers is give, averaging 2.46 yards per outrun. Like, guys, that's really impressive. I know it's been a small sample size, but he's doing good things. He's going to face an aging Chris Harris, who's allowing 1.25 yards per outrun. So the matchup seems to favor Myers in this passing attack, although, like Johnny said, it might be hard to trust uh, given the way Cam's been up and down this year. Austin, when we look at the running back core, it looks like Damian Harris is probably a good start this week. Damian Harris has been a really efficient runner. Um, anytime he really gets an opportunity, his main issue is just opportunity, which we yeah. know Bilicek likes to spread around uh, to the rest of the running back room. Um, Harris is even more of the guy now after the Burkhead injury we saw two weeks ago. Season high, 64% snap share in week 12 for Damian Harris. His previous high was 55%. So that's a significant bump up. Um, seven red zone rush attempts over the last two weeks. You like to see that um, and has the highest floor. Cam limits the ceiling, of course, but I'm feeling comfortable about Damian Harris as a you know mid-range RB2, mid-range RB2 minus with some upside. Yeah, I love that take there. And, and like I love the, the red zone attempts because that was the big concern. Like, Could a running back get red zone attempts with Cam Newton in the lineup? And it looks like Damian Harris is, is that guy to do it, at least uh, in this game. The good game script should help on the Chargers side of the ball. Johnny, I want to talk about the running backs. Eckler's back. Uh, what about Josh Kelly? Uh, or is it just Eckler for you this week? For me, it, it's mostly just Eckler, unless I'm really, really desperate. Look, New England giving a, a, a just allowing 18.4 fantasy points to opposing running backs. That's middle of the road. It's not the best matchup. Uh, and then you look at what they are doing, what the LA Chargers are doing with their running back group. Well, it seems it should be a two to one split over Josh Kelly. <laughs> Excuse me. That is what they rolled with earlier this season when Eckler was healthy, and that's, again, what they did uh, in Eckler's first game back. Um, he saw 16 targets as well in his first game back, so I don't know if you're I had to, like, double-check that because I was like, oh, my goodness, he got 16 targets, and that was correct, but I don't expect that kind of usage to happen again for Austin Eckler. Uh, Austin Eckler is an RB, you know, a high-end RB1, low-end um or, or sorry, a low-end RB2, a high-end RB1 for me this week. And Josh, Car Josh Kelly only played on 24% of snaps last week. And like I said, only saw seven carries to uh, Eckler's 14. So I think that's going to be the dosage moving forward. So I don't think you could trust Kelly in your lineup. Look, I agree. You're probably not going to get 16 targets. But if we look at the last game that he had with Herbert in the lineup before his injury, he saw 11 targets in that game against Carolina. So, uh, he, I mean, it's definitely if he finishes the game, they like feeding him the ball. And Herbert seems to understand that that's the kind of way this offense works. Another way the offense works is through talented wide receivers, Austin. That starts and ends with Keenan Allen. But I want you're my resident Mike Williams guy. You've been the hype machine on Mike Williams this year. You've got it broken down. How do you feel about Mike Williams? I'm invested a little bit in Mike Williams uh, across some formats, so help me out here. I know you are invested in Mike Williams after I had maybe passed on Mike Williams and, and dropped him over on the waiver wire, but he's still a really good guy to roster. He's a classic boom or bust candidate with a higher floor than a lot of these other boom or bust candidates. Um, he was held out of practice earlier this week. It was a non-football-related um, issue. He's back now, so no concerns right now about his health, which is always somewhat of a concern. Right now, he's good, though. The BMW was fresh out of the shop, and it is humming down the highway. He's had five or more targets in the last five weeks, um, and pretty much uh, a boom or bust during that stretch, though. He needs a touchdown, really, to break 
double-digit points. He's only broken double-digit points one time in half-point PPR outside of a touchdown. He's only broken 100 yards once. But I love how involved he's been on the offense. Um, snap share percentages going over the last month, 80, 82, 75, 93% snap share. Um, and his he's a big deep down the field type of player. And during this last um, – we've, we've seen him um, this season average 3.2 catches, which isn't great, but it's 52.9 yards um, average per game. So he's 16, 17 yards per catch, which is – it, it just gives him a lot of opportunity. You hope to see him get more targets coming his way, but his floor is pretty good. And going this week up against the New England's 24th-ranked pass defense, definitely a more disappointing pass defense from New England than we expected. Um, no lockdown corners for him, really. Uh, I feel fine about Big Mike Williams as a wide receiver three for you. Flex option. Yeah, there's some things that kind of you know dissuade you, uh, or at least hurt your confidence this week for the Chargers going against New England. We know, you know, maybe it's you know, tribal knowledge that we know that, you know, Bill Belichick does well against rookie quarterbacks. We know he usually has a good secondary out there. But I honestly think, given the line, given what Vegas thinks, Herbert can get it done this week, and he can get it done to his wide receivers, and and Hunter Henry even. You look at New England allowing the fourth fewest tight end points uh, on the on the year, but then Henry is just has such great peripheral numbers. I don't think you can bench him. Seven-plus targets in four out of his last six games, four-plus catches. Uh, in five of his last six games. I know New England's been tough, but Henry's floor keeps him in your lineup, and I think that's the same for Herbert and these other guys here. I know that it could be a little tough uh, looking at what New England's done. Seventh fewest points per game to quarterbacks. Um, but both Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson had big days with over 30 points against New England. So it is possible to get there against New England. And I, I know what you're thinking. Oh, those guys are running quarterbacks. They actually didn't get it done on the ground against New England. They threw against New England. So for me, I actually think that, you know, you're trusting Herbert, you're trusting the passing attack here. And as, as Johnny said, you're trusting uh, Austin Eckler as well. All right. Our final matchup on the slate is the Green Bay Packers hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a 47.5 point over under with Green Bay favored by 8.5 at home. Got to start with the Philly side of the ball because they make us do this. Uh, we have to talk about them. But uh, we're going to start with, uh, I mean, the uh, sorry. <laughs> we're going to start with uh, the tight ends, Johnny, because that seems to be the only way that Philly's been moving the ball lately. Uh, the only way that Carson Wentz can kind of get it done has been through his tight end. So if Zach Ertz is back, how are you feeling about Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, and this tight end uh, situation? When you look at it on paper, it's not the best matchup, right? Um, Green Bay, seventh fewest points to the tight end position. They, they lock it up pretty well. Um, but you look at what Dallas Goddard has done so far, you know, this season when he's been healthy, he's seen six plus targets in all three games since the bye week. He's only recorded less than six targets in two games this year. You should get Christian Kirksey, who has given up 0.41 fantasy points per route ran to opposing tight ends. So I think Dallas Goddard's definitely in your lineup. And then you're looking at Ertz, right? The Eagles activated Ertz from injured reserve Wednesday. And he's followed it up with back-to-back -back limited sessions. He's averaged seven targets a game before the ankle uh, ankle sprain injury. So, uh, But the only thing I will say with the Zach Ertz, 50% of his games, he scored 18 or fewer yards. So, yes, he is getting the targets, but he's not getting the yardage. I don't think it would. I I don't think I would play Zach Ertz in this game, even if they do activate it for him. I'm only looking to play Dallas Goddard at the tight end position. Austin, I want to I want to go back to Carson Wentz because he's just the the way that this offense 
gets it done or doesn't. And most times it's been not. Um, but you've got some concern with Carson Wentz. And, and can we figure out what is going on with him? Like, why is it there? Why? What's going on with Carson Wentz right now? We're talking about a former MVP candidate, a top draft pick who doesn't have any major injury concerns or real reasons for this immense struggle. And we need to factor in how many uh, other variables contribute to a quarterback's weekly output. We've got pressure that's coming on the quarterback, which you know his offensive line has a lot to do with. We've got uh, wide receivers dropping passes. We've got throwaways that might happen. There's a lot of factors to consider here. So when we take a little bit of a deeper dive to see what's going on underneath the hood of Carson Wentz and to see if there really is a problem here. You know, when Carson Wentz is under pressure, he's the quarterback number 31. Um, you'd hope to see him when he's kept clean for that to increase. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a risk of, of the pocket just not being there for him. Under pressure, he's the quarterback 31. In a totally clean pocket, he's the quarterback 37. So he gets worse when the quarterback, when he's clean. Um, but let's go ahead and factor in, maybe, maybe he's got dropped passes coming his way, right? So we can look at the adjusted completion percentage, which accounts for drop passes, throwaways, spiked balls, batted passes, and passes where the quarterback was hit while they threw the ball. Let's really get a better accurate of, of what this guy's cooking with. He's the 32-ranked quarterback overall, but when we look at adjusted completion percentage, he's the number 34 quarterback overall. So he actually gets worse when you factor in all of the throwaways and the drop passes. Carson Wentz has all of the opportunity in the world, and right now he's just he's playing really bad football. I don't know why it's going to continue. And there's no real reason to say why it is or isn't. So like, hold your breath, find something else. I wish the man the best. I hope he finds peace in his life or whatever he's looking for. You know, normally you'd say the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think it's more like the bad, the bad, and the ugly with Carson Wentz. Like it's, it's like the intense. weird, the concerning, and the ugly. Yeah, it's it's a lot of bad. Uh, and I think that extends the wide receiving core. Look, I've been one that's trying to make a case for Jalen Rieger. We'll start there. But six or more targets in three of his last four starts. He's yet to eclipse 55 yards, though, in that span. Um, and then he's going to get a healthy dose of Jair Alexander, who is PFF's fourth highest graded cornerback. And he's only allowing .73 yards per route run. Uh, that's what's going to happen in this game. He's going to get a healthy Joseph Jair, and that's not going to be good for him. You look at Travis Fulgham, a guy we loved a few weeks ago. He's completely fallen off a cliff over the last three weeks. 14 targets over that span, only four catches for 32 total yards. And he, in turn, is going to see another good quarterback that you know Green Bay is able to trot out there, and Kevin King, who's only allowing .85 yards per outrun this season. Green Bay allows the 10th fewest receptions in the NFL at this point. Um, you don't want to start any of these guys. I mean, I, I won't even mention Alshon Jeffrey, who's had two catches in the last three games um, uh, back. So not something you want to do there. I do love, and we said a lot of bad things right now about Philly in this offense. But I do love Miles Sanders this week, and I think you could start him with absolute confidence against this Green Bay attack. They rank 21st in EPA rush play allowed. They allow the third most fantasy points to running backs with 27.3, and they're uh, you know fourth most over the last five weeks. So they're continuing to be bad. They haven't fixed it yet. Um, and we just saw Dave Montgomery. I mean, Johnny, Dave Montgomery has sucked all year and got it done against Green Bay. So you're starting Miles Sanders, and, and you're feeling confident with it. But I'll go to the other running back on the other side of the field, Johnny. Um, and we're getting a lot of questions about Aaron Jones. Um, he's had a couple bad weeks. Do you think this is his get-right game? I don't know if it's his get-right. Uh, I don't think it's the matchup for a get-right. But I think he has a solid day. Listen, Philadelphia giving up the 11th fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs. So do temper your expectations. 
But I do want to be noted. Like, there is some concern. Like, I'm not just trying to, uh, you know, create headlines here. Jones has eight total <coughs> touchdowns on the season, but he has found the end zone only once over the last month. The Eagles have allowed 11 rushing touchdowns this season, and eight different running backs have posted 10 or more fantasy points against them. So that would bode well for Aaron Jones this week. That gives you some confidence. But uh, first four games, he didn't score fewer than 15 fantasy points in a game. Since uh, after the bye, or after the bye, he's only scored more than 15 fantasy points one time. He's just averaging 14.4 carries per game. So that's not the guy that you know we. That is the guy that we thought we were drafting, and then it's not the guy that we saw the first four weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, you're looking at Jamal Williams now, too. Very similar to how the Cardinals use uh, Chase Edmonds. He doesn't play, he doesn't get a lot of touches every single week. They limit it to, you know, nine to 11 touches, but. He is getting 45% of the snaps, so he's on the field quite often, very similar to Chase Edmonds. So uh, I always have confidence in Kenyon Drake, and I do have confidence in Aaron Jones. It's just the ceiling is a little bit more capped uh, for Aaron Jones, I feel. Austin, talk to me about these wide receivers. We know Devontae Adams gets his each and every week. I mean, he's like he rolls out of bed with a touchdown, but the, you know, Alan Lazard back healthy, MVS, boomer busts, anything there outside of Adams? Yeah, those are the really the two wide receivers to take a look at, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard. Now, we know the reputation of MVS of a boom or bust player continues on this season where he has not scored 8 to 17 points in that range. 8 to 17 points, he hasn't touched it all season long. He either gets you below 8 points or he gets you above 17 points. That's what Marquez Valdez-Scantling does for you. And despite last week's 79% snap share, he didn't have a single target. Now take a look then over at Alan Lazard, who's still recovering from his abdominal surgery um, and had just a 52.5% snap share over his last two weeks since he's returned. But despite not being involved on the field as much as other wide receivers. He is still the number two wide receiver in targets. He's had 10 total targets over that stretch. He caught that touchdown. We know that that's a role he looks to be carving out there in the Green Bay offense. I think Alan Lazard's involvement continues to rise as he gets healthy. He's not 100% yet. That's obvious, and he took that heavy hit against Chicago. It's great to see him get back and keep playing. I think his role is going to continue to increase. MBS is going to maintain his boom or bust status. It only takes a couple of receptions for him to have a monster day. It's just really tough to bank on which ones it's going to be. So I'd fade MBS outside of desperation flex and start considering um, – Alan Lazard, maybe wide receiver four right now, but it could be a play come playoffs. I like him this week. Yeah, so Green Bay Twitter, Green Bay Reddit, really roasting MVS. And it looked like, you know, you said fade MVS. It looked like Rodgers faded him last week after the fumble for Indy. He didn't see a single target, and it just looked like he was he was refusing to look his way. Did you guys? We know that there's been, we know that he's done this before, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was why. He didn't look his way last week. Have you? I do want to talk about Robert Tunyon, man. Tunyon looks finally healthy. His usage is picking back up. He's had four or more targets in three of his last four, five or more catches in three of his last five. He's got back-to-back -back games with 15 or more PPR fantasy points. You look at Philly. Philly's allowing 8.2 fantasy points per game to tight ends, and they've allowed some big blow-up games. Remember the Tyler Higby three-touchdown game? That was against Philly. Um, so this could be a ceiling game for Tunyon in, in, in a – you know, with the tight end position the way it is, roll the dice on Tunyon this week. And, I, you know, you continue to roll the dice with Aaron Rodgers. 
Um, I, I don't need to say this, but Philly has been a tough defense. You're still starting Aaron Rodgers, who put up you know multiple touchdowns last week against a really tough uh, Chicago defense. So giddy up there. Well, we did it, guys. We recorded the matchup show, preview show here for Week 13. For Austin Sear, for Johnny Game Time Hicks, I am Big Travi. You can find us all on Twitter. You can look up the Fantasy Whispers on YouTube by searching the Fantasy Whispers. We're the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whispers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whispers.